0: Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast, where we go deep on the sport of gravel cycling through in-depth interviews with product designers, event organizers, and athletes who are pioneering the sport. I'm your host, Craig Dalton, a lifelong cyclist who discovered gravel cycling back in 2016 and made all the mistakes you don't need to make. I approach each episode as a beginner to unlock all the knowledge you need to become a great gravel cyclist. Have you ever thought about organizing a gravel event? I certainly have. This week's guest, Fabian Seralta, took that passion and idea to create an event and created Gravel Locos. The original event in Heiko, Texas, is joined this year by a new event in Pueblo, Colorado. I sat down with Fabian to learn about his inspiration for Gravel Locos, the charitable component of what he does, and the general theme of all Gravel Locos events. Before we jump into the conversation, I need to thank this week's sponsor, Hammerhead. The Hammerhead Carew 2 has raised the bar for cycling computers. You can get advanced GPS navigation and intuitive software right on your handlebars in a way you never thought possible. I spent this past weekend down in Tucson, Arizona. After speaking with John from the Mount Lemmon Gravel Grinder a few years back, I've been itching to get out on the course, so I simply downloaded the GPS file from their website, uploaded it to my Carew 2, and felt super confident going out there in the backcountry. I've got a ton of stories about some of the snafus I had, mechanically speaking, while I was out there. But from a navigational perspective, it was spot on. What I really appreciate about the Karoo 2, and I've talked about the responsive touchscreen display before is that in the navigation once you've loaded a route in there you get a little icon no matter what screen you're on saying when the next turn is coming up it's those little touches and details that i think really is setting the hammerhead crew to apart beyond that i really got to dive into the climber feature which is something unique and special about hammerhead the climber feature allows you to visualize and prepare for upcoming gradient changes in real time so what does that mean basically it translates to a nice graph on the climber screen on your Two computer that shows you in color-coded fashion the length to the top of the climb, both in miles as well as elevation, and then gradient-by-gradient gradient profile looks that map exactly to what you're experiencing. When you're out on an adventure loop that you've never been on before, it was super useful to see, okay, this is going to be a punchy mile, mile-and-a-half climb, Versus at the end, I discovered and as I turned the corner that I was in front of a six mile climb, but fortunately the gradient was pretty chill. This all translates to knowledge is power. And with the Hammerhead crew 2, you can get all the information available out of your GPX files. You can customize it to the nth degree. I still have a ways to go in customizing mine, but you can see the power of organizing your data right there on your computer screen. For a limited time, our listeners can get a free custom color kit and exclusive premium water bottle with the purchase of a Hammerhead Carew 2. Visit hammerhead.io right now and use the promo code Ride at checkout to get yours today. That's a free custom color kit and a premium water bottle with the purchase of a Caroo 2. Go to hammerhead.io, add all three items to your cart, and use the promo code Ride. With that said, let's jump right into my interview with Fabian from Gravel Locos. Fabian, welcome to the show. Hey Craig, thank you. It's good to talk to you again. Same here, thank you. I'm excited to learn all the things about Gravel Locos, and but would love to learn a little bit about your background first. Just kind of what drew you into the sport originally, and then what led you to take on the huge challenge of creating an event?
1: Well, I, I would definitely say I was probably what led me to the sport was purely accidental. Uh, I purchased a, a ranch in Oklahoma in 2012. And I remember the first time driving out there to see this ranch with the, uh, I was following a realtor and we we're in this perfectly smooth country road. And I was just thinking, this is great. I'm going to have my road bike out here. And as soon as we get to the one road that leads to the ranch, it was this awful road with, rocks and gravel and dirt and I was like oh my gosh this is terrible I'm not gonna be able to ride my road bike out here and then we're on this road and this lady is just like flying on this road and just dust and dirt everywhere and we're just flying on this road and, and it was like a 15 mile drive from on this awful gravel dirt road to the driveway of this ranch that I had just purchased And, or I was about to purchase. And then the driveway from this road to the ranch was another mile and a half. And when we get to the ranch property in the house, I said to her, this is terrible. I'm not gonna be able to ride my bike when I'm out here. She's like, well, what do you mean? I said, I'll get a flat tire by the time I get to (laughs) to the, uh, to the main road. And she's like, well, you can just drive your bike in your car and, and go out there and just park out there. I'm like, where am I gonna park? That's like somebody else's property out there. So this is 2012, and uh, so I buy this property, and probably from 2012, 2013 until about 2015, I didn't get to ride my road bike every time that I went out there. Yeah, I was going to say, there
0: wasn't a lot of options in terms of gravel bikes at that point in time.
1: No, but then in 2015, I'm visiting my son in Denver. He was going to school at the University of Denver, and I just happened to go to a a bike store. It was, I believe it was a specialized bike store. And I walk in there, and there's this white and red bike with ceram. And it looked like a road bike, and it had these knobby tires on it and zip wheels. And I'm like, what in the world is this thing? And uh, so the sales guy comes up to me, and I'm like, what is this thing? You know? And he's looking at me like, he's like, where are you from? I'm like, well, I'm from Cuba. And he's probably thinking, this guy just fell off of a coconut palm or something. He's like, it's a cross bike. I'm like, what's a cross bike? You know, I had no idea what a cross bike He's like, you don't know what a cross bike is? I was like, I don't know, but I want that bike. He's like, Well, you're gonna do cyclocross. I'm like, no, I bought this ranch and it has these horrible roads that are rocks. And he's like, Oh, so you want a gravel bike? I'm like, a gravel bike. I said, No, I want that bike and I need you to ship it to Texas. And the guy is just like looking at me like I'm nuts. But it was like, it looked like a road bike, and it had, you know, what looked like to be mountain bike tires. And I'm like, this is it. So I purchased the bike and it happened to be on my size, a 54 centimeter. They ship it to off to Texas, to my local bike shop and it gets over there. They had 700 by 33 C tires and I start riding it in Oklahoma. And I thought it was the greatest thing ever. And I was running 90 PSI on the tires, which I thought at the time was perfect. Cause you know, on my tubular road tires, I was running at 120 PSI. And uh, so I thought this thing was just as smooth as can be on these uh, gravel roads. And I signed up for my first gravel event, October 1st, 2016. And I thought, hey, you know, it was 15 miles, no big deal. I showed up (laughs) at the time. I think I had 95 PSI in the rear and 90 in the front. And I thought it was gonna be very much like a road rally where you have, you know, rest stops every so many miles. And so I think I had two water bottles and maybe one snack or whatever. And man, it was a nightmare. I was,
0: was, I, was that in Oklahoma, the event that you signed was, up for?
1: I was a Really hilly area, Monster Texas. And you know, I paid my registration fee, which I think it was, I don't know, 85, $90. And I was expecting it to be just like many of the road rallies I had done. And you know, rest stops with bananas and oranges and cookies and pickle juice and Gatorade. And there was nothing. All they had was a water table, with warm water, no food. And uh, by the end of the 50 miles, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> and uh, with that tire pressure on those 33C tires, I was so beat up. <laughs> I swear I'll never do this again. I remember getting to the finish and calling some buddies. I'm like, I am never doing this again. This is horrible. Why would anybody ever do this? You know? Yeah, but it's, I- it's
0: funny what a difference That's- the evolution of the equipment has made in the enjoyment of the sport. Yes. I'm with you. I, I got my first gravel bike a little bit later than you, I think back in 2016, but it was a 2014 model year bike, 32 C tires. Jeez. Fortunately, it, it did have tubeless on it, but it's still like, I just felt like it wasn't that much better than a cyclocross bike I had five or six years earlier, which I had pretty much quit riding because I would either flat or get the crap beat out of me every time I rode it.
1: <laughs> yeah. this, this thing, I mean, it was, it was, a. Uh... Uh, it was a cyclocross bike. It was specialized crux. I mean, it had great, I mean, it had 303s. I was running tubes, and, which was, you know, a big difference from running tubulars on my other bikes, road bikes. And it had Saram. I, I couldn't complain. It was a great bike. Yeah. But I was just running the wrong tire pressure, the wrong tire size. And I really didn't have any, any knowledge of, of gravel. But, you know, I did see other people running bigger tires and all that. And it, it was just this learning curve. But that first experience was horrible and really I swear I'd never do this again. And it took a while. And then I I started learning from others like, Hey, yeah, you can't be out there running tire pressure like that. And you can't, you got to run bigger tires than that. And you got to run, you know, tube, you know, tubeless. And, and, you know, I, it probably took me a few, a couple of months before I even rode again, but as I, I started getting more and more advice from others that were doing it, but it was so early on, but it was that experience that really led me to want to have eventually one day have a gravel event that was a lot like a road rally, but that it was also, you know, it, it had the, it, it was at the time it was, you know, the dirty camp event, the DK 200. So I wanted to have a, a DK 200 event with the pro component, but yet beginner friendly. So have all the support that you would need for beginners like myself or, or people just really interested in gravel so having all the bunch of rest stops and having portable bathrooms at rest stops for the women and having sag vehicles all over the place but yet having a ton of pros so having an event that was a dk200 packed with pros but yet packed with all the support and all the things that you are accustomed to experiencing and having at a you know family road rally type event
0: Interesting. So it sounds like, I mean, if we fast forward a few years from that original event, it sounds like you competed in a handful of events every year to try to, you know, obviously continue your enjoyment of the sport. The the equipment had continued to evolve and and you'd had a number of experiences at other events where you're like, I like part of what this event has done, but part of what that event has done. And you thought, well, like, what if I did this
1: on my own? Yeah, like so. It, the the events continue. I can, I would go to every gravel event that I could go to, but it just, it was, you know, you pay your 75, 85, 100 or something dollars, but you know, you're lucky if you got a water table and it was everything was always self supported, self supported, self supported. And you're paying all this money, but you're not really getting a whole lot in return. And to me, it really excluded a lot of beginners, it excluded people that didn't have a lot of bike skills or, or, bike mechanic knowledge, because, you know, I always say what what makes riding gravel so great is that you're out in the middle of nowhere, but what that's also what makes it kind of dangerous and also kind of keeps a lot of people out of it, because, you know, you're out in the middle of nowhere, you don't have cell reception, you don't have convenience stores, oftentimes you don't have many houses, or you don't see a vehicle, or cars don't even come by half the time, so yeah, you're out there in the middle of nowhere, but then you don't have the help of neighbors and you don't have convenience stores and you don't have others to reach out to in case of an emergency or mechanical. And I feel that that deters a lot of people from venturing and experiencing gravel. And as a result, you know, a lot of people miss out on experiencing gravel. So how do you bring in all those people? And for me is the way to do that is by bringing in all the support, the SAG vehicles aid stations every so many miles so for example in Gravo locos you have you know six aid stations you have 20 something sag vehicles for the women we have portable bathrooms at all the aid stations whether it's in heiko or in pueblo colorado and that's how we take out that that fear of you know being out there in the middle of nowhere so but yet we still have you know 20 something 30 pros out there participating, just like you, we did, you know, at events like Dirty Kansas 200 or, you know, yeah, what was Land Run, you know, and I referred to them by those names because that's what I was modeling back then.
0: I'm glad we unearthed that because I think it's important to kind of think about people's orientations as event organizers in terms of how they're going to set up the overall experience. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing when you've got a, a top level pro who's decided they want to get into the event business and oftentimes they do design events that are driven from the front. They're really a professional athlete experience that does trickle down to the rest of us, but it's uh, you know it's pretty refreshing to hear you talk about wanting the last person in the event to have the best time possible as yeah. well as as the first. So stepping back for a second, you you live in Arlington, Texas. Uh-huh. You've got property in Oklahoma. You'd experienced the gravel community for a number of years. You decided, Hey, there's something missing. I'd love to highlight my perspective of a gravel event. how did you decide on, on, on Texas for the original event? And what was that process like?
1: Well, I I, decided in Texas, because that's where I predominantly ride, you know, so I've done a lot of gravel riding, you know, I've done gravel in California, I've done gravel in Vermont, in in Montana, I've done gravel in Scotland. I've, you know, I've, I've done gravel in other parts. And, but Texas where, where I mostly ride gravel. And I've done gravel all over Texas. And Heiko, I remember riding gravel and close to close to Heiko. And uh, one of the folks that I was riding with says, man, if you like this area, you've got to check out Heiko. So I said, Heiko, where's that? So I found it, went out there. And, uh, and so where, the, where is it relative to, to the Dallas area? For me, it's about an hour and 20-minute drive from our... Is that... T- to the east or oh, which man. direction i'm the guy that gets lost with garmin so <laughs> so yeah, i'm gonna take a chance here and say i think it's south <laughs> okay so yeah i'm horrible i'm like directionally challenged so i get asked this all the time like the other day i was in pueblo for meetings and i was meeting with the uh the, uh, the pbr the folks for the uh professional bull riding association which are one of our sponsors and they were asking me so which direction i said I have no idea, here's the route, you figure it out. And really I do get lost even with Garmin. I'm that guy that I'm following the route and I always end up with more mileage. So I ended up going out to Heiko and I follow this route and it had so much more climbing, even though I am not built like a climber. I love as these challenging routes. I really love taking on routes that have as much climbing as possible. And it even though it takes me all stinking day, And Heiko has that, you know, for Texas, it's one of these areas that you get so much climbing and I absolutely fell in love with it. And Heiko has, it's hard packed and it has a lot of beautiful canopy areas, like, you know, tree canopy tree areas. It has lots of water crossings. It has, I mean, it's just a really diverse terrain. And even if it were to rain, it's so hard packed it's it's got a lot of smooth areas there's really nothing rough or nasty about it and even if it rains it's it's not an area that that you get much mud, much more than a couple of inches of mud so it's not like like mid south where you have you know 6 inches 12 inches of mud in your foot you know is, you know foot into the mud for example last year in may it did run it did rain and so yeah people got muddy but you're talking you know an inch of mud 2 inches of mud maybe two and a half so it's not a situation that you're just bogged down and you you have to walk you, know, you can ride through it so it, it's really a an area that you can ride it all year long rain or shine and it was just perfect and i so said this is it we're going to do it here so you know we had last year we had three routes this year we have four routes last year we had a 30 mile or a 60 and 150 something and after our survey of the event it was a very positive survey Folks, which is absolutely thrilled with the event but what kept coming up was have a 100 miler so i said all right so for 2022 we have a 100 miler as well and it just filled up immediately so folks really wanted 100. not everybody wants to do 150 something miles but they wanted more than a 60 miler so the 100 miles yeah you know, i never even thought of it you know so you learn i've learned a lot you know yeah, I've i feel
0: i feel like i'm in that category where yeah. 150 mile maybe i can muster that up once a year if i'm lucky but 100 keeps me honest, I need to train for that pretty well, but yes. I, I believe in my heart like I can always uncork 100 miles if I'm yes. like relatively fit.
1: Yeah, and you know, and the 100 mile, it's, it's, it's a legit route. I mean, it's it's over 5,000 feet of climb and it's really a beautiful route and it, it really incorporates all the hard climbs that are in the 150 something mile. The one, and-
0: what- yeah. I, one of the things I always want to unpack with event organizers, because I think it is a challenge depending on where you are is, okay, so you've decided on Heiko as a, as a great riding location, but there are also logistics and permits and all kinds of things you need to go through. Granted, in a rural community, maybe those are less than a more populous community, but you still need to do that. So what was that process What was that process like for you?
1: Really easy. You know, what, what I have learned with, you know, this is for me as a hobby, And Co has, you know, it's really been incredibly easy. They've really take care of all that for me. And I went in there with, you know, the understanding that, look, I'm doing this to help the volunteer fire departments. If you're willing to help me, I'm willing to do it. And was Uh, that
0: perspective something that was already in your head? Hey, I want to have a charitable component to the event I put on. Yes.
1: Yes. And and if you're willing to work with me and, and take care of these things, I'm willing to do it. If you're not willing to work with me, I'm out of here. It just, you know, it's it's one of those things that I, I don't have the time to mess with all that stuff. So if the town is willing, then I'm willing. If they want to put me through all these hoops and things and, and and barricades and all these all this red tape, I'm just I'm out of here. Yeah, uh, because I just don't have time for it. You know, I've got four kids and <laughs> two other businesses to run, and so I was really upfront, and they were really honest about it and they just they facilitated everything that i needed they, they provide all the things that i need they provide law enforcement they provide crowd control and barricades and they provide everything the same thing with pueblo you know there's a happy in a hike
0: in the original gravel locos event sorry to interrupt you there Fabian. Yeah. it it took off through the gravel cycling community as a event option incredibly quickly and there was a couple things that kind of at least caught my eye right off the bat, which were one was it correct me if I'm wrong here, but it seemed like the registration was entirely a donation based model, which was unheard of. And two for a first year event, you had all these top pros saying, I'm going to be there.
1: Yes. How did
0: both of those things happen?
1: Well, you know, it was, it was out of really, so the event was initially going to take place in 2020 in November. And I canceled it because of COVID, you know, so I yeah. had the green light from, from Heiko, but I canceled it because of COVID. I f- basically, you know, I have absolutely zero connections in the bike industry. And what I tried to do was try and get the bike industry on board. And the only way that I could do that was reaching out to them via Instagram and Facebook, and that really didn't really work. I couldn't get anybody to. You know return any messages or anything despite the amount of money that i spent on bikes you know i have the the record at my local bike shop for spending the most money on bicycles every year (laughs) it's (laughs) absurd (laughs) despite all that (laughs) i couldn't get a response from anybody so i said you know what i'm not gonna let that discourage me i'm gonna have this event with or without the bike industry and so i said i'll I'll fund it i'll do it myself because i i'm going to have this event and this event is going to have the component of the pros and the component of the beginners and there is not there isn't going to be a cutoff so if folks are going to train for the GL 150 150 something miles with over eight thousand feet of elevation gain i'm not going to yank them off the course they're going to be out there as long as they want to be and if they want to give up they're going to give up but it's not going to be i'm not going to take it away from anybody i'm not going to be that person that's going to say hey you know what you didn't make the cutoff by 10 minutes or an hour or two hours and you're off the course because i'm always that person who's the last one and, you know, when I was at Ted's event in Vermont last year, I didn't make the cutoff. And when they came up to me and they said, hey, look, you're, you, you didn't make the cutoff. I said, <laughs> you, we're going to have a freaking fight. <laughs> and uh, I kind of said, call Ted. And they did. They called Ted. And Ted's like, leave him alone. <laughs> He's fine. I'll, I'll take care of him. I'll wait for him. And Ted did. And he understands. He, he waited out there for me. And I didn't make the cutoff by over an hour. And he was out there in the rain, in the cold, waiting for me. Everybody was gone. The whole thing was shut down and he followed me for like the last 15 miles because it was pouring rain. It was cold. But, you know, he, he let me finish the, the event. And to me, that's what being inclusive and, and finishing and, and you know, what it's about. So I said, I'm going to have this event regardless. So in 20, for 2021, how I was able to do what I did is, with like you mentioned earlier, this this donation thing. I said, you know what, let's just, I've got to get the attention of of folks because I don't have the support of the bike industry and I don't have name recognition and I certainly don't have, you know, experience. I've never done this before. So how do we capture attention? We're going to do this for free. It's going to be a free event. And and first thing I said, all right, this event is going to have 1,200 free registrations. And what you're going to do is it's up to you to make a donation, a direct donation to the volunteer fire department. Most folks are used to paying one hundred something, two hundred dollars or more for an event like of this caliber. Remember, you have all these aid stations. You have so you're getting twenty something pros, top level pros from around the world. You're getting over five aid stations, fully stocked, twenty something SAG vehicles, portable bathrooms at all aid stations. You're getting a drawstring. Swag bag, really nice. You're getting with zipper. You're getting tea, really nice T-shirts. You're getting purest water bottles from Specialized. You're getting all this swag, all this stuff for free. So whether you give the fire station a dollar or zero dollars, you're going to get everything for free. So it was an honor system, and really, I think that showed people that it, hey, this is an event that has Lawrence Ten Ted King, Peter Stetna, Allison Tetrick, Jess Sarah, you know, Colin Strickland, you know, all of these names that I, that are all of them are going to be at, at Unbound. All of them are, are all these huge events. And there's no cutoff. There's all of this support that you don't get at these big events, as, you know, as far as aid stations. And it is entirely up to me to decide how much I'm willing to pay, what I think it's worth. Well, out of those 1,200 free registrations, less than 400 people donated anything. So that was a bit of a shock, but we still had the event. And, yeah, we still- and, and just to unpack that a little bit,
0: you know, yeah. quite disappointing, obviously that just like sort of the percentage of people that actually donated and to, to put a finer point on it, like as you describe all the things that one would get for participating, you're talking about a hundred dollars worth of effort per rider Yes. to give them nutrition, to provide them porta potties, to give them swag—all those things. So it's a it's a big proposition that I think often gets lost. And and you put it in the proper context, in that without someone supporting you, without a you know a nutrition sponsor coming in and dumping tens of thousands of dollars worth of product on your tables, like that's coming out of your pocket as the race organizer, and there's no way around that. So. Pretty incredible effort to get it off the ground, and sorry to hear that the donations were not as great as you wanted them to be. But with those donations, something great did materialize for the yeah. fire department.
1: Yeah, and, and that that side didn't happen the way that I had I had hoped. But it, it, we don't really even think about it because we, at the end of the day, there were so many articles written about the event that I never expected in a million years. I honestly, I never thought that GCN would write about it, that Bicycling Magazine would write about it, that Cycling News, the Velo News, all these publications wrote about it. You know, it was listed as a, as uh, Bicycling Magazine listed it as the top 20 bucket list event. Yeah. yeah it, was, it, it was mentioned like 17 times in Velo News, GCN mentioned it, A Cycling News had articles about it. These are all things that I never even considered would happen.
0: Yeah, it was absolutely incredible to reach the, brand and the event got in yeah. that
1: first year. It was we incredible Fabian. We got a smoking great deal on the the fire truck. We were still able to buy it with the money that we raised. We you know, we still had great registration numbers. We had and then for 2022, you know, we have over 1500 people registered and we raised enough to build a bigger fire station. So that's it. Wow, maybe, you know, less than 400 people register out of 1200. It doesn't matter to me because we still accomplished everything that we set out to do. We still got more numbers than I ever thought were going to happen. And as a result, we we have interest from other cities that are contacting me that want to have events. So, you know, I I was, several cities reached out to me. Hey, can, can you do the same at our city? And it is, you know, I've had to turn down cities because it's just too much. You know, I've had to two other Texas cities that asked me to host events at their cities. And I, unfortunately I've had to say no because I just don't have the time. Yeah. And yeah. Was, and Pueblo reached out against my better judgment. I was like, sure. It's You know, the, the Pueblo story, I really, really, I, I couldn't say no. It's just, they, they've, they've been wanting to do an event there and they even, they were bidding to try and get an event and they they lost the bidding. Most cities that want to do something like this, they're paying promoters to do the events there. That's one of my rules. I will not charge a city to host an event because it goes completely against what I'm trying to do. So what I'm trying to do is bring money to the city and build and bring equipment and funding to the volunteer fire departments. So why would I be charging them money to host events? And yeah, you, it's super it's super you. interesting
0: when you look at the economics of events, yes. just events in general, how much they cost, but the economic impact to these rural communities, which in your case is very specific to raising money for these volunteer fire departments. But even beyond that, the you know the amount of meals purchased, the amount of hotel nights, yes. et cetera, like it's it it has a significant impact. And I'm super interested to get into your second yep. event in Pueblo and learn how that happened. But one more question, just out of my own curiosity, how did you end up getting those 20 to 30 pros to come to a first year event?
1: I will say the credit to that goes to Ted King, because I reached out to several pros. First was him via Instagram. Again, I don't have any connections or I, I don't really know anybody. And he was the only person that responded. And I wrote him this long thing through Instagram, direct messaging through Instagram. And I explained to him, look, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm, I'm going to have this event, and it's going to be free to everybody. And it's going to be up to them to donate. And this is all that they're going to get. And this is all I'm going to give them. And this is what I'm trying to buy, a fire truck for the fire department. And I'm trying to get this many pros. <laughs> and he writes back, it's like, are you nuts? And he finally calls me. He's like... Are you nuts? He's like, I'm so intrigued by this. And he really <laughs> the,
0: idea, the idea was so crazy, he had to call and talk to the guy behind it.
1: That's exactly what he said. He's like, This is absolutely insane. <laughs> and this, but I'm so like intrigued by this. And he's like, Are you really gonna do this? And I said, Oh, yeah, I'm really gonna do this. And he's like, you know, this is how stuff gets done, you know, when when people just Take a chance and, and, and do something completely outside of the box. And, and he said, can I have two weeks to think about this? And I said, absolutely. Just take your time. And, uh, and he's, and he did two weeks later, he calls me back and I'm like huge fan of Ted and, and I remember watching him in the tour de France and all that. And sure enough, two weeks later, he calls me back. He's like, all right, I'm in. And he's like, do you have a website? No. (laughs) <laughs> need a website and then he's like what are you going to do for registration i don't know i mean he just went down this list he's like you gotta have registration you gotta have this and and then and then he says to me and your social media posts suck <laughs> and he just starts helping me you know he starts giving me so much guidance and stuff like that i mean he's like and how are you going to get a hold of all these other writers?" because i give him a list like i want to get a hold of uh, of all these other writers and he's like I, I, don't I don't know he says that, you know let me help you so he started really vouching for me and and contacting them and and then he gave me a lot of advice he says you know don't don't do a don't don't give money don't do a purse don't do this and don't do that and and you're going to find that the folks that believe in what you're trying to do are gonna jump on board. And, and that's how it happened. He Just the folks that came forward are, are folks that care about what I was trying to do and really wanted to be a part of something totally different that was more about giving back to communities and and, and not so much about, you know, a big corporate event. It was more of a grassroots type thing. They were just interested. And a lot of them have their own events that are grassroots focused. You know, Ted, Jess, Sarah, Sam Boardman. Laura King and Ted, you know all of them. Ten Dam has his own events in the Netherlands. Yeah. Peter Detna has his own event. So all of them, in, in, there's a connection amongst all of us that have to do with our own little small events. That they're, they're, they're not corporate; they're just small community type events. Yeah, yeah, uh, amazing, amazing. And then what out. I do in, in return is, I, you know, I help with the hotels and things like that, and meals and stuff like you know. That's how what we do. You know, they they ride for a living. That's that's, that's how they make a living. So you certainly have to help out in some way, you know, and, you know, and with Heiko helps me out with the hotel costs. So I provide them with a room and, and stuff like that.
0: Gotcha. Interesting. So now let's shift gears to Pueblo. I know you had mentioned you had a number of rural communities, see what you had done and reach out to you, but what was it about going to Pueblo in a state that you don't reside and you don't have property at this point? What was it about the Pueblo opportunity that said, Hey, this is the right, next step for the gravel locust event team
1: well i i found out that they helped they, they've been wanting to have a gravel event and i found out that they had been bidding on 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 uh, having an event hosted there and, and, and they lost somebody else got the bid and that kind of bugged me it bugged me it bugs me that these small towns that are hurting economically and they're trying to bring business and they're trying to bring funds to their towns that they're that they're trying to get events by paying promoters and paying corporations money or offering to pay money so that events are being hosted there and to me that it just doesn't make sense because if you're doing it for for as a business you're making money if if you're hosting an event somewhere you're going to make money from registration you're going to make money from sales of, of of you know shirts and and you're making money from vendors and and the bike industry is paying you, per, and 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 all this stuff that I I have I don't have access to because I don't have any, you know I don't have the bike industry behind me or you know or any of that, but you know the the lifetime events and the big corporate events have all of that you know, you know all those you know Shimano and Specialized and Trek and all those companies that are there are not there for free, you know. Let's just be honest. I, you know I was born at night, but not last night. So, and then to have these small towns that are struggling financially and have high unemployment, paying significant amount of money for, for them to host the event there, to me, that, that just seemed wrong. And as a result, they, they were outbid by another town and they didn't get the event. And I learned about this and I said, all right, we'll do the event there. So I met with the city. I met with the mayor. And one of the questions were, well, how much are you going to charge us to do the event? here I said, zero. And I said, if I ever ask you for money to do an event here kick me in the ass please i said that's not that goes completely against what i'm trying to do i said the reason i'm I'm doing these events is to bring funds to cities that are struggling financially but also to bring funds to the volunteer fire department because guess who we call when we fall and wipe out and bust our asses out riding gravel volunteer fire departments guess who's out there that's who's out there you know when we're out there riding gravel, that and, and all of us know this, it's volunteer fire departments. We're out in the middle of nowhere, and it's a volunteer fire department that is out there charged and really taking care of hundreds of, of miles that they're covering. And that's who we rely on. So if we're going to support a, a department as a gravel community, I mean I would think that I you know logically we're going to support the volunteer fire departments in those areas that we ride. So it's not that I'm Mr. Nice or anything like that. It's just logical that we're going to support the very same people that come to help us. And it's the volunteer fire departments in those areas that we ride. So, and I think they, they appreciate that, you know, so to charge them, it doesn't make sense. I don't think it's fair. But they do help, you know, they provide, like we said earlier, they help me with the permitting and they help me with law enforcement and they help me with barricades and things like that. So they, they do help. It's not like they're doing nothing. So it's, it becomes a, a, a community, a, a true community involved event. And we, we get that, we throw that word around all the time, community this community that, but when you really dig into it, the poor community is paying a few hundred thousand dollars. And it's really no longer a community. Now we're talking about a service and a fees and stuff like that. But in in our case, you know, Heiko provides all this help and volunteers and stuff like that. The same with Pueblo. That's I think that's it's. it's
0: I think it's refreshing to take that expansive view of community because oftentimes the gravel community, those words are thrown around a lot, generally implying your fellow athletes, the fellow people out there riding with you. But it, it really is in these rural communities. It's the people of the community that are coming out, coming out, whether they're you know manning the registration booth or manning an aid station or you know opening their doors and giving you a glass of water if you're stuck out there somewhere. Like that, that really is the breadth of the community that Gravel does touch in these towns.
1: Oh, I mean, you better believe it. If they don't help me, I'm not doing it. <laughs> There's no way I, I would do it. it. It's just you know. I wouldn't do it, and they understand that, and, and I'm really open about that. It's like I'm not charging you anything, but you got to help me. You know, I, when I met with the fire department, it's like you all got to help me. There's, you know, I don't have this is, you know, and I, and I say this, you know, like my social media, it's one Cuban and an iPhone. You know, I don't have a, 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 a crew or anything like that. It's, you know, what you see on social media, it's Fabian, you know, one Cuban and an iPhone. I don't have Oe, I don't have anything. It's just myself. So. I I will take all the help that I can get and you don't need an entire staff to, to do anything like this, but you do need, you know, help and, and volunteers and, and Pueblo understands that. And Heiko understands that, you know, I'm looking at another state right now and we're looking at a third event and they understand the same thing that, Hey, we need, we want to have an event, a a Locos type event. We don't have, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars to give a promoter to bring the event here but we do have willing bodies and people that are willing to, you know, help and and volunteer. And and that's the model. And, but we also like having 20 something pros and we like having the, that racing component, but yet we also want to have an environment that the Fabians that are going to come in last know that they can train for this and it's not going to be taken away. They're not going to be turned around and yanked off the course because to me that's, I can't imagine training for something for a year and, you know, not being a Ted King or 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 a Allison Tetrick or a Jess Sarah. I'm not those folks. And I can't imagine training and having my family behind me and, and all of that support and and the struggles of having to work other jobs and then being yanked off the course and told, "Hey, you know, you can't finish because you didn't make it by 30 minutes or an hour or 2 hours." I cannot imagine what that feels like. Yeah, and to me, that just that that's not inclusive. That that's just telling somebody you're not good enough. And turn around to me, there's no explanation that you can give me that tells me that's rational, reasonable. Not even safety. What do you mean safety? There's there's nothing. if, If it's a safety issue, then guess what? You know the amount of money that these events make. Then you plant the freaking SAG vehicle behind those folks to follow them till the end. What does that cost? I mean, right. let me know, I'll pay for it. What's the big deal? You know, and that's what we do. At Grabo Locos last year, we had a vehicle, SAG vehicle to follow five folks because it was dark. They didn't have lights. I said, well, you freaking follow them. Follow them all the way to the end. You're going to be their light. Because, again, why would we yank somebody off the course? Now, if they want to quit, it's on them. they want to throw in the towel it's on that but and and then the other thing that we have with our pros and 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 they're more and you we don't even have to ask them and it's like hey you know make yourself available to the to the folks to the regular folks and they do there are so many selfies out there with ted and and kids and and pete lawrence it's just super cool and funny as hell ali tetrick and jess you know all these young girls and, and folks that got to meet them personally and they were out there available to all these folks, which, you know, it's, those are memories and things that you just, you know, all their fans get to meet them.
0: A hundred percent. So I guess we, you know, I feel like we've unpacked pretty completely what the Gravel Locos ethos is and what the experience is going to be like on the Pueblo side. What is that terrain like? I've driven through Pueblo, but I've never, I've never put rubber on the roads and trails there. W- what do you expect the courses to be like in Pueblo?
1: Oh my gosh, it's silky smooth. But you know it's 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 so beautiful. I got to ride 23, 24 miles the other day. So we 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 rode from the fire station, we did a loop, and it was about twenty four miles and about fourteen hundred feet of elevation gain. The, uh, the main route we call it the the GL one fifty. That's just our 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 the the big route. is always going to be called the Gravel Locos one fifty. But it's really one hundred and sixty nine miles. So wow. you get you get a little extra, but it's. <laughs> you know, right with GPS says it's over 13,000 miles, but as we know, it's always under, it's always uh, more 13, than feet is. of climbing. So I would expect just about 14,000 feet of elevation gain. And, you know, it's, it's for me coming from Texas, it was a little, a little harder because there, there's that whole, you know, the, the altitude, but it's just so smooth and so nice. It's, you know, it's hard packed also, but it's, it's smoother. The gravel there is, it's, it's just hard to explain. It's just, it's beautiful. So
0: do you imagine this being the type of event that larger groups can stay together and benefit from drafting off one another and things like that, just given the type of terrain you're on?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it, it's hard to explain. I mean, it's, I was, I was telling them over there, it's like, it's hard and it's definitely challenging, but you're looking at mountains and you're looking at all this beautiful terrain it's really, you know, I was, I was exhausted. Again, I'm not, I'm not anybody who's in the kind of shape and certainly I've, I've gained. I was, I was telling them the other day, I was like, you know, there was the COVID 19 pounds. I, I I managed to, you know, I went from riding a ton of miles every year. And when I started gravel locos, I've gained 50 pounds in, in two years of not riding and running two businesses and gravel locos. So I've got to find a way to get these 50 pounds off. So yeah, (laughs) going downhill was great over there, but going up was tough. (laughs) <laughs> uh, just the scenery is just so, so interesting. Um, and are the courses the
0: punctuated by like a, a, a significant climbs, like in terms of like, oh, you're going to be climbing for an are, hour at a time, like Colorado is right, known for? gradual.
1: They're gradual climbs. There was nothing that, like in Heiko, you get these punchy climbs. Over there's more gradual. So, you know, you can get away with, uh, with less big gear. In Heiko, I tend to run a, a bigger gears. Over there... You know, I didn't get in any of my big gears. You know, I, I run a ten fifty two in the rear Saram and I, I wasn't using it over there because they're they're more of the gradual climbs where you kind of get into a rhythm, and they're kind of. Okay. I prefer that to be honest. That you just kind of get into this groove, and you get into this rhythm, whereas high code has these. You know, we have some some climbs that are twenty two percent, twenty three, and they're pretty punchy. And we have these three climbs that are back to back. That we call the three b's you can decide whatever you want to call those b's but (laughs) they're (laughs) they're rough (laughs) then uh, man those kick up into the 22 23 24 percent and it's you know they're kind of loose rocks and you just kind of got to lean forward and you got to get in that big granny gear and just work your way up whereas in pueblo you don't have i didn't experience anything like that and and most of what's out there is these long gradual climbs that you kind of get into a rhythm so yeah. it, I personally prefer the, the type of climbing that they have out there in Pueblo. But they're both very, very different, very different type of riding.
0: And would you change your, your tire width from Heiko to Pueblo?
1: Would you do something little narrower? I think that at, at both you can get away with smaller tires. So I've done Heiko with 35 centimeter tires. I've done Heiko with 47. I think that in Pueblo, again, we rode Pueblo last week where it had been snowing and it was muddy, but even then, you know, I rode it with 45 centimeters and there was folks out there running it or riding it with 38s and they still did just fine. But the, the Pueblo gravel is much smoother than the Heiko. And I, I can see some folks getting away with when it's dry, especially in October, getting away with, you know, 35s, some, yeah. even some, some slicks, I can totally it's oh. funny. It's so
0: it's so counterintuitive to me, to, and SBT gravel's the same way. I remember getting like my arm twisted to run thirty eights, and I was like, "There's there's no way. Like I'm going to Colorado and." At home, I'm all about the 47s here in Marin sure. County because it's so rocky. And, but sure enough, like I definitely could have ridden that, as they call it, champagne gravel in Colorado yes. on 38s with absolutely no issue. So it, it, it's quite fascinating to me. And
1: yeah, one I, of the I, things I've I, had a racers recently that are 43s. I haven't put them on yet, but they're kind of, you know, they're not flicks, but they're not knobbies. And I can't wait to try something like that. They're 43s. And normally I, in high school, I run 45s or 47s. But I'm looking forward to running those 43s as a whole new tire I've never used before. But I can certainly see, uh, in Pueblo getting away with 38s, so even even a slick or a semi-slick.
0: Yeah, so so interesting. It's a, obviously it's like a, it's a never-ending debate and discussion yeah. about which tires to use. And yeah. I remember reading, you know, we the when we're recording, it's the weekend of mid south, and you know, there's a lot of people twisting their arms and, and twist, getting all twisted inside about what tires they are going to run tomorrow or today, excuse right. me, on race day at Mid-South. So always fun and appreciate the insight there. So for people looking to find out more information about the events, where can they find information about Gravel Locos? Why don't you tell us the the website and the dates of the events this year?
1: So Heiko is a 14th and Pueblo is October the 1st. You can sign up on our website, which is lb.gravellocos.bike. Just make sure you click the link for one or the other or if you want to do both. I've left Heiko still open, but we've got over 1,500. I haven't decided we I going to shut it down because Heiko is open to having more. Pueblo is still open as well, but just all the information is on there. There's four routes for each. So there's the Gravolocos 30, the 60, the 100, and the 150. Information about the routes is on both of them. The cause for each of the events is always going to be a volunteer fire department. Pretty much everything you need to know about it is on the website Great. you can find all the different pros that are going to be there we've got more pros to add to the website every day you get you know we get uh, new pros that want to come on board as far as our sponsors there aren't not many of them but the, the ones that are on there you'll find out that these are folks that are very have been very loyal since the beginning and amazing somebody, somebody wants to be a sponsor they're more welcome welcome to send us a message or email us but we're pretty much self-supported and really it's just a community thing. And and it's really this whole entire thing has been made possible by, by the towns and, and little businesses within the towns, very small involvement from the uh, bike industry. It's been a, a community thing, to be honest. Uh, just kind of how it worked out. Amazing.
0: Most Thank of- you so much. Thank you so much for putting so much of your heart out there and, and making a, making events that you wanted to see happen in the world. And I think it's such a sort of beneficial place for the gravel cycling community to have event organizers with that orientation. And from this conversation and our earlier conversations, I know how much of yourself, both personally and financially, you put on the line to create this event series. So again, from from me, thank you for doing that. And exciting to hear that Pueblo is going off this year and exciting to hear that yet another community has come to you and talking about like how do we have Gravel Locust 3?
1: Yes we'll release that soon. I'll let you know. Awesome. Thanks for your
0: time, Fabian.
1: Greg, thank, thank you so much for having me.
0: That's going to do it for this week's
1: edition of the Gravel
0: Ride Podcast. Huge thanks to Fabian, not only for joining us on the show, but for everything he's doing around the Gravel Locos series. I think he's got his heart in the right place, and I have no doubt these are some of the best gravel events out there to attend. Big thanks also to our friends at Hammerhead for sponsoring the show. Remember, you can get a free custom color kit and premium water bottle with the purchase of the new Hammerhead Carew 2 computer. Simply go to hammerhead.io and use the promo code The Gravel Ride. If you are interested in supporting the show, ratings and reviews are hugely helpful, as is sharing the show with other gravel cyclists. If you're able to support the show financially, simply visit slash thegravelride Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels.